Good morning and welcome Irving Church and all others who are joining us online today. It's a blessing to have you and more importantly, God welcomes you here and invites you to worship him in the word now as we read and study together. I just want to warn you as we're getting started this morning that throughout this sermon, I'm going to be spontaneously changing my vest color from gray to blue in order to keep your attention better. It's a, it's a superpower I have. Uh, actually, uh, we're having some lighting issues, so uh, hopefully that won't be too distracting for you. Uh, so, it's great to have, a, have you joining us as we journey through this wonderful season of Advent together, as we together watch for, wait for, long for the Messiah who has come and still comes and is coming for our salvation. This is a wonderful season. We together are watching for the light. I learned a couple of weeks ago that if I say that, it pops up behind me in a miraculous way. So we're watching for the light together, the light of Christ that has dawned and continues to dawn. You may have heard that uh, in recent times there has been a war on Christmas. And it takes the form of something like this. When you go to Target and start to check out, instead of telling you Merry Christmas, the cashier will say, Happy Holidays. That's their strike against Christmas. A few years back, Starbucks, instead of, they announced that instead of having Christmas, traditional Christmas, Christmas symbolism on their cups, they were just going to have plain red cups that they passed out to their customers. And one former pastor who I guess was upset about this, he organized a movement to have people go into Starbucks and announce that their name was Merry Christmas. So that when the Starbucks employees called them out, uh, when they announced their drink was ready, they had to say, order for Merry Christmas. I thought that was funny. And that was an effort by this man, you would, as you hear the term often used to put Christ back in Christmas. That's what you hear people saying a lot of times. We need to put Christ back in Christmas. But what if that's not really the way Christ wants to be put in Christmas? What if he doesn't just go like that? What if he doesn't fit in that way? Could it be we've been trying to put Christ back in Christmas in the wrong way? Well, how do we put Christ in Christmas. I'd like to talk to you for a little while today about the Virgin Mary, the first person in whom Christ was put. And from her, we can learn some important lessons about the meaning of Advent and the meaning of Christmas. Now, who was Mary? As Gwen Stefani would say, she was just a girl. I know a lot about girls. I happen to know a lot about them partially because I live in a house with four of them. Five, if you count Sydney's dog, Honey. So I've learned a lot about girls, but more importantly for our talk today, what, what do we know about first century Jewish girls? Well, what we know about girls at that time, both in Judaism and beyond, is that they were generally viewed negatively by men. Their role in life was to be wife and mother. Somebody, famous Jewish historian Joseph uh, Josephus, he said that women are inferior to men in all matters, and that's why they should submit 
their primary roles in life could be summed up in three words. Submission, seclusion, and silence. They were often treated as, if not regarded as, property. The rabbis had this prayer they would pray, and they would thank God for three things. They'd thank them, thank him, if I'm not mistaken, that they're not a slave, that they're not a Gentile, and that they're not a woman. And these women, if I remember correctly, now you may need to check me on this, but I think they married somewhere around the ages of 14 to 18, pretty early. And uh, then, from there on out, they would rely on the male in their home as the one who would get them by. That was the role of a woman at that time of the world. They weren't very special. They weren't very important. But in our scripture that you heard this morning, we find God showing up to one of these women and saying something remarkable through the angel Gabriel. Can we have the first slide, please? I didn't get the clicker either. I can do that either way. If you want to do it, Josh, or you can bring it to me. Uh, here's what Gabriel says. He came to her and said, Greetings, O Gabriel comes to Mary and says, you are one of God's favorites. The word, the same, the root is the root word for grace. You are graced by God. You are favored by God. Mary, I imagine very seriously that no one had noticed Mary very much in her life. She wasn't anything special. She walked around in a world that was prescripted for her. The stage had been set, the lines had been written, and now she just had to play out her part. She was just a normal, teenage, Israeli woman. Not that her part was terrible, but certainly she was nothing special, nothing super important to her world. But she was super important to God. God sees Mary. And he comes to her and says, I'm about to do the most important thing I've ever done. And I've chosen you to help with this. How amazing is that? He comes to this teenage girl who's still a virgin and says, you're going to have a son. And she's thinking, how in the world can this be? Look at verse 29. But she was great. She couldn't get it. Mary, just at the greeting, he hasn't even gotten to the point where he's telling her, you're going to do something that seems impossible. You're going to be a virgin with a son. But just at the greetings that says, says to her, oh, you're the favored one. The Lord is with you. She's greatly troubled. She's confused. And she's trying to figure out what could this mean. Do you know that that's just a microcosm of what happens to people in general with the blessing of God? When we really understand how it is that God wants to bless us, we stop and say, what? You know, that's what Mary's doing. She's going, who? Me? Is there, is there another Mary around here? 
You talking to me? So many times we can't receive the blessing of God. We can't even hear the blessing of God. Because the world has told us something untrue about ourselves. Life has beaten us down. Perhaps our families have beaten us down. Perhaps our friends have beaten us down. Work has beaten us down. Just the general world, sometimes it's the church that has beaten us down and told us things that aren't true. But whatever has, has formed us, we've been placed in this position where we can't hear the remarkable words of God to us. Here an angel who stands in the presence of God comes and stands before Mary and says, you are favored by God. She says, what in the world? <laughs> this can't be true. And yet she is the beginning of something incredible for all of God's people. Behold, John said, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. And it doesn't yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when we see him, we'll be like him, for we shall see him as he is. What? <laughs> Have you ever thought about these scriptures? You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. This is the church now. This is the church. You're a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's own possession. Hmm. Those are nice words to say in church, aren't they? No, that's the reality. We're like Mary. We're going, us? No, that's, that's for somebody else. You know, I've been thinking lately about the Scriptures. Two times in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul talks about praying to God and calling him Abba, Father. Apparently this had spread all over the early church because Paul writes it to the Romans whom he had never met, never visited. And uh, assumes that they're calling him Abba, Father. And I am embarrassed to tell you that I am just now learning how to pray that. I mean, I, I'm not saying I've never said the words before, but it's just now something at 40 years old that I am starting to get. You know what that, that means? By the Spirit of God, the Scriptures tell us that we cry out to Him, Abba. That's the word for Daddy. It's not just a little kid word. Adults use it too. But it's the word for Dad or Daddy. And I've heard that for years. And I'm, like I said, I'm embarrassed to say, I've never, I've just never been able to really pray that. And I'm just learning what it means to say, Abba, Father. Can you believe that that prayer is for us? Can you believe the relationship through Christ that's been established for us that we go to him on our knees and say, Daddy, it's almost embarrassing to talk about it. It's so intimate. That's what we're invited to, to do in Christ. Nothing will ever separate us from the love of God in Christ. This is the promise of Scripture. Do you believe it? We're hesitant to believe these things, just like Mary was. So the angel has to say it again, verse 30. Don't be afraid, Mary. Can you give me the next slide, Josh? No, 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 I'm sorry. I think that you uh, have already given it to me. I must have left out a scripture. <laughs> verse 31 uh, 
it talks about her having a, uh, yeah, I've, I've omitted it somehow. So you've found favor with God, and uh, I don't even have my Bible up here with me, so I can't even read it. But the scripture says uh, she's going to have a baby, okay? And just go on to the next one. It's fine. You can look it up at home. <laughs> and this baby will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. Hear these words like Mary would hear them, not like we think of Mary after 2,000 years of church history, after her role in the church and the great fame she has received. But this is just a Palestinian teenage girl who is receiving a promise to become the queen mother. She is going to be the king's mother. And not only any king, this is the king. The one Israel had been waiting on, the one the whole world was waiting on, whose kingdom would never end. She was to be his mother. And no wonder then that Mary felt very, very blessed. And then she's left wondering, how in the world? Look at verse 34. why she asked how she's a virgin she says how am i going to have a baby but in a way she again is a microcosm of all the great blessings of god because when god comes and blesses us like he wants to bless us in these amazing incredible ways we're all left saying how can this be how can this be you want to give me the kingdom you want to give me the kingdom and let me be a part of a royal priesthood but I'm a sinner. But I'm divorced. But I committed a crime. But I'm a loser. But I don't have a lot of friends. On and on we can go with our lives. And we say, how, how can this be? But this is the story of Advent and the story of Christmas that invites us to say, yes, it can be. Yes, it has been. And yes, it will be. These remarkable blessings of God leave us wondering how. And the answer that Mary was given is still the answer for us. The Holy Spirit comes upon us. The power of God comes. And impossible things happen. That's what Mary says in verse 37. Nothing, or, or Gabriel finished saying to Mary in verse 37, nothing will be impossible with God. Man, that's a lesson we have to learn in Christ. Nothing will be impossible with God. That's the only way we're saved. It's called nothing's impossible with God. That's the only way we overcome our sins. Because nothing's impossible with God. This is life after Advent where we know nothing is impossible with God. And so if we're going to put Christ back in Christmas, the first thing we have to understand is that we are looking for and expecting God to act in our world. And we're ready to receive it. We're looking for things that are humanly impossible. In the church, we expect 
that we're going to see things happen that could not happen, that people cannot understand, because God does things like that. They are humanly impossible, but they are impossibly good, too. That's what God does. That's the whole story of the earth. I want to read to you something. Philip Yancey records this. It's actually by J.B. Phillips. And uh, Yancey, let me find my page here. Yancey records, I haven't read Philip's book, but Yancey's uh, record here is, is beautiful. It's a, it's, a, it's a story of a senior angel. It's a fantasy story. But a senior angel that J.B. Phillips writes about is taking a junior angel across the universe, and they're flying around infinite distances, going through all these different galaxies, and seeing these uh, blazing suns, who knows what else they're seeing, all across the universe. And then they come to one particular galaxy that has about 500 billion stars, and they stop there. And here's what J.B. Phillips writes. As the two of them drew near to the star, which we call our sun, and to its circling planets... The senior angel pointed to a small and rather insignificant sphere turning slowly on its axis. It looked as dull as a dirty tennis ball to the little angel whose mind was filled with the size and glory of what he had seen. I want you to watch that one particularly, said the senior angel, pointing with his finger. Well, it looks very small and rather rather dirty to me, said the little angel. What's special about that one? And so then the angel, Yancey recounts or summarizes a little bit. He says the angel listened in stunned disbelief as the senior angel told him that this planet, small and insignificant and not overly clean, was the renowned visited planet. Listen to Phillips. Do you mean that our great and glorious prince went down in person to this fifth-rate little ball? Why should he do a thing like that? The little angel's face wrinkled in disgust. Do you mean to tell me, he said, that he stooped so low as to become one of those creeping, crawling creatures on that floating ball? I do. And I don't think he would like you to call them creeping, crawling creatures in that tone of voice. For strange as it may seem to us, he loves them. He went down to visit them, to lift them up, to become like him. The little angel looked blank. Such a thought was almost beyond his comprehension. Such a thought is beyond comprehension. Who could ever believe that our glorious prince, that the glorious prince of the angels, heaven's glory itself, would come down to this dirty floating ball and become one of these creeping, crawling preachers. creatures. Creatures. <laughs> A lot of us creeping, crawling preachers, too. That's what Jesus did. That's the message of Advent and Christmas. The love of God is mind-blowing. And we sit back in awe and say, how can this be? That you came. What? are human beings, that you are mindful of them. You created the heavens. You ordained the moon. Your fingers put the moon and the stars in place. And yet you see 
human beings and say, I'll become one of them. Impossible goodness. Something that nobody can grasp. This is what God has done in Christ. This is the message of Advent and Christmas. But let me just... uh, Move on here and, and say one more thing about putting Christ back in Christmas. We can't just spiritualize the message. It is generalizable. It is a particular message. It has a general application. But there's also specific things in this text that we don't want to meet, that we don't want to miss. And God explicitly shows here in this text his concern for the nobodies. The Christmas message shows God's concern for the nobodies, the outcast, the poor, the oppressed. This is what's striking about him coming to Mary. She's one of the last people on earth you would expect the glorious prince to come to. Unless you already know the biblical story. But outside of that story, you would never expect him to show up to somebody like Mary. He could have been showing up in Caesar's palace. He could have been showing up in the halls of other royalties across the land. But to a teenage Palestinian girl... With almost nobody knowing about it? Why did he show up like that? Because he is signifying. He is signifying what his life is going to be about. Where his heart is. Who he's reaching out to. He is reaching the people who have been overlooked. He's reaching the people that the wealthy people have forgotten about. He's reaching the people that the religious leaders have forgotten about. And he's saying, nope, God doesn't see like you see. God's not a man. And he doesn't look out at this world like you look out at it. So he chooses to come directly to this poor Palestinian girl. I love the story of Hagar in the Old Testament. Hagar was Abraham and Sarah, Sarah's servant girl. And they try to uh, make the promises of God come true through Hagar. The promise had been that Sarah was going to have a son, but it wasn't happening fast enough. So they try to make the promise come through through Hagar. But when Hagar gets pregnant, Sarah gets jealous. Quick summary story here. And in her jealousy, drives Hagar away. She runs out pregnant into the wilderness, is sitting by a spring of water somewhere, and out there, probably, who knows, but, but perhaps thinking, I'm going to die out here in the wilderness. Where do I go? This was the only family I knew. Now I'm going, bearing a son into an unknown land. What do I do? And then God meets her. The angel shows up to her and says, look, go on back. I'm going to take care of you. And I'm going to take your son. And I'm going to do something great through him. And you're going to have many, many descendants. And Hagar there names. It's unclear exactly whether she names the place or she she says this is the Lord's name or something like that. But whatever she says, she calls it God, something along these lines, God sees me. Isn't that beautiful? God sees me. How many people in our world today live feeling unseen, feeling like nobody cares Nobody will speak up for them. They've been down and out for so long, they can't imagine being up and in. They've dealt with depression and anxiety. They've dealt with rejection from family and friends. 
They've dealt with lost jobs and lost loved ones. They've dealt not only with the grief and pain that the world gives, but they've dealt with feeling their insignificance before other human beings. And I want you to know, if that describes you, God sees you. It's the message of Scripture, God sees you. He doesn't show up all the time in a manifest way. Those are special occasions. But he sees you. And he wants you to know he sees you. It feels good to be seen. Several years ago, and this won't mean a lot to most of you because you, don't, you haven't lived in my world, but I've spent a lot of time in an academic uh, theological setting, and, and there's a big-named Bible scholar. His name is Ben Witherington, and he's written like 60 books. You may, you may have seen him on CNN because they go get him and, and interview him for these TV specials and things. And I've been in classes with him, but it had been about a year since I'd been in class with him, or more than a year. And it just so happened, he's a big deal in my world, you know. Just so happened, I came up on him on campus in Kentucky where I was in school. We just kind of ran into each other, and he, he didn't even see me coming. And he looked up and said, hey, Luke, how you doing? And, uh, you know, we exchanged pleasantries, and I walked on in and sat down in my seat. And uh, I thought, man, that feels really good. Ben Witherington knows who I am, just like that. And I sat there reflecting on it for a minute, and I thought, he has a photographic memory. <laughs> At least that's what his wife says. Maybe he doesn't. It's kind of deflated me a little bit. You know, it feels good when, when people that you think are kind of important, when people are, are uh, something of a big deal to you, when they see you and they know you. I want you to know that the most important person in the world, the most important persons, the Trinity, they see you and they know you. And the very hairs of your head are all numbered. This is the message. God sends Jesus to poor people. And then he announces it to poor people. He tells the angels, who may have been scratching their heads when they get the news, go now, we're going to send the message ahead of time, go tell the shepherds. It's not like shepherds were terrible people or awful people or anything, but they certainly weren't any big deal. Just out there tending the sheep. It's like today if some big announcement were going to be made about the second coming and God told the angels, go tell the auto mechanics. Nothing wrong with being an auto mechanic. But you wouldn't really expect God to say, now go find the auto mechanics in the garages and make sure you announce to them that Jesus is coming. But that's exactly what God does with this message. He sends the angels to find the shepherds in the field and say to them, the Messiah has come. Rejoice. In fact, here's what he says, what the angels say. Fear not. people. This is the message of Christmas, the message of Advent, that joy, good news, is for all the people. Let me finish up then by going to what we know as the Magnificat. This is 
Mary's song, famous song that she sings a few verses later in this chapter. After realizing what has happened to her, Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. low. God sees those who are lowly. He sees those who have nothing, who have nothing to claim for themselves. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Not Herod, not Caesar. All generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. His blessing is for the lowly. His blessing is for all generations. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. That is to say, those who think they're something, those who have plans to be something, God scatters them. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's reversed everything. You can't make any plans now. <laughs> you can't build your expectations around worldly values because God reverses everything. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich, and the rich he has sent away empty. Now imagine some merchant in a first century marketplace who's out there selling goods and all the hungry people come and he just fills up their buggies or whatever they have, fills up their bags with these good things. But the rich, they come and say, hey, we want to we pay for this. He's like, no, 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 I've already got enough business. <laughs> and sends them away empty. That's the reversal that goes on with the God of heaven. He's not impressed by your riches. He's not impressed by your status. This is who our God is. God who reverses expectations. He exalts the lowly and brings the proud down to earth. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Blessed be the name of the Lord. This is who our God is. This is what our God does. We are his people. And Christmas calls us, Advent calls us to act with his mercy and his justice. And I want to say to you, to put Christ back in Christmas, we have to learn to see the nobodies. We have to learn to see the poor, the outcast, the oppressed. Those who are excluded and rejected. Those that people don't want to talk to. People who smell bad. People who the world thinks are ugly. All these are kind of people that the people of Christ say, we see you because God sees you. And we see your value. And not only that, we say to you, the kingdom of God is for you. You're made for exaltation in God's kingdom. You, even you, right where you are, you have found favor with God. And we, as the church, come to these people and we offer what help we can. And we say that the people who are a priority to Jesus will be a priority to us. I want to say to you that the war on Christmas started a long time ago. 
the war on Christmas began when Christians began thinking it was more important to have our various celebrations than it was to care for the poor and the hungry like God cares for them. The war on Christmas began when the materialistic desires. Now, let me, let me say to you, I'm not against presents. We give our kids presents, too, and we receive presents. I'm not trying to say it's a bad thing altogether. But when the materialistic desires of our kids became more important than the material needs of Jesus' brothers and sisters, there was a war on Christmas. When we came to care more about our trees and our decorations and the shining lights than we did about the people for whom Christ died, there was a war on Christmas. The war on Christmas continues today when Christians care more about keeping the word Christmas in our greetings than we care about helping the people that Christ loves. We care more about having the power in our culture than we do about seeing the power of Christ moving for the poor and the hungry. We have not gotten close to putting Christ back into Christmas until we have begun to care for the nobodies, for the lonely, for the afflicted, for the homeless. And who cares what they put on their cups at Starbucks? The problem with Starbucks is the coffee's too expensive. We keep getting Starbucks coffee, we're all going to be poor. Who cares if they say happy holidays or Merry Christmas in the line at Target? That's, that's no big deal in the world. What matters is, is the love of Christ present in his people. Do we see and care about the people that God cares about? Christ will not be a slogan or a symbol. He refuses to be commercialized or domesticated. And I say to you today that the living Christ dwells just as he did when he came to Mary, he dwells with the poor and the lowly. We can see his face there. He's told us that. And as much as you did it to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, when you fed the hungry, when you clothed the, the poor, you did it to me. And that is when you put Christ back in Christmas. As we watch for the light in this Advent season, my brothers and sisters, let's watch for that light to dawn in all kinds of ways. Light that we've thought maybe, maybe it's not going to reach us anymore. Yes, it can. People who've given up and said the light can't reach here. Yes, it can. And we can start where we are as the body of Christ. Reaching out to the people in need. And then we can say with true depth of meaning... This is a Merry Christmas. This is a Christmas in which Christ really lives. May God make it so. Amen.